Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Shane Demon and Father Travis Crotty. What's up, everyone? This is Father Shane Demon. This is Father Travis Crotty. Good to be with you all again. Thanks for tuning in. Special shout out to all of our listeners in the Sioux Falls area and the Minneapolis area. That's right. Yeah. Where you have been ministering to them recently. I have. Well, not so much. I was just kind of hanging out in Minneapolis for a... a ministry of presence. Ministry of presence, yes. as you will, as we do. Your aura just... Yeah, back in your stomping grounds where you went to undergrad. Yeah, five years up in the Twin um, Cities. That was great. Yeah, the transitional diaconate ordination was at the Basilica mm-hmm. of St. Mary in Minneapolis, which is beautiful. Um, I think I'd only stopped in there briefly one time, so to be able to concelebrate Mass in there was wonderful. Beautiful place. Big place. Yeah. Same architect then as the Basilica, I mean, r- rather the Cathedral in Sioux Falls. Right. Have you heard the story when the one of the first bishops of Sioux Falls, he was in St. Paul and then rode back on the river to Sioux Falls, and he had just seen, he, so he saw the uh, cathedral uh, in St. Paul rather than the Basilica, and he said, I want one like that. So they got the exact same architect. Oh, pretty much built like a small version of, of oh. that. But since the uh, renovation, have you been up there? I have. Sioux Falls, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So I got to marry um, Ian and Abby. Now Carter. That was exciting. She used to work here in Sioux City um, mm. as a as a youth minister. Now she's the DRE at the cathedral, um, mm-hmm. which was wonderful. But Father Morgan uh, had wonderful hospitality. And what a beautiful place to celebrate Mass. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it reminded me a lot actually of the Kenrick Chapel. Because it also has the Baldacchino and the right. kind of rounded like choir stalls in the back, so I was getting Major Kenrick vibes, right? Um, which was exciting because <laughs> I haven't been back there for a long time. But perhaps I'll come visit you sometime. Yeah, come on down. You're down there. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you'll be bringing dozens of prospective candidates as the new vocation. You director. know it. Can't wait. That's right. Um, one of the things that I love so much about the um, the Basilica of St. Mary in Minneapolis is that this Baldacchino has got a beautiful statue of Mary on top of it. Mm-hmm. And then above that, the dome is so high above that that it's hard to really describe to our listeners if you haven't seen it, but the Baldacchino with Mary kind of sitting on top of it just seems to be, it looks like it's suspended in air, and yet the architecture is so well done that you know the dome is still suspending above that. There's this great sense of space uh, above Mary in which she's towering over all of us, and yet there is just so much more expansive space above her, mm. which you know symbolically would be you know God the you know who's not created right. Yeah. So in heaven, I I just look at that as kind of an analogy of this this wonderful spatial dimension that says so much theologically about the role of us, the role of Mary, and the role of God, our Savior. You know who far you know far surpasses any of his creatures. Yeah. Uh, does that make sense? It does. Okay. Yeah. And the times, so when I went to conception, there's a large Romanesque basilica there. And there's, it's not always felt in, in our diocese, at least. We have beautiful churches in many places, but they're not very large. Some of them are big, but they're, they're just as big as they needed to be for a small farming town. Mm-hmm. There's something really impressive about these big cavernous uh, cathedrals and basilicas that at first I thought was just superfluous. Like, why'd you have to build such a massive church? And it doesn't even make sense sometimes kind of practically. It's like, okay, the floor plan is here. Why is it so big? 
But especially when you're praying mass in one of those churches or like experiencing the liturgy or even just stopping in for a quiet moment to pray, the transcendence that's offered because of the, like the spatial dimensions, Mm -hmm. it's really powerful. Um, And when incense kind of like rises and hangs out up in the dome, uh, it was wonderful. I, uh, you know, just like the concelebrant sort of filed through underneath the baldacchino where like the altar of repose is. And then the bishop is kind of lower. And I just ended up like smack dab in the middle in front of the tabernacle, sort of Mm -hmm. (laughs) towering over everyone else too. And this was really fun. uh, And I hope she listens, but um, sister Mary Carolyn of the sisters of St. Francis, the martyr St. George Uh has been on a couple of times now. She's probably listening to us as she's driving across the Midwest. Don't drive off the road by hearing your name, sister, sister Carolyn, as you drive across Midwest, we tend to um, meet each other, as we often talk about, in the most random places. So when we were both in the St. Louis metro area, it would always be at random parish events. It's like it'd show up for some youth group thing. And, of course, Sister Carolyn would just randomly be at this parish event. Well, now it's she pretty she I think she does. Uh-huh. Because I, I haven't been in Minneapolis for years and, like, just went up there for this random ordination for a friend who I hadn't seen for a while. So it was, it was a little... Um, unexpected uh-huh. and as we're processing and i see oh there's all the handmaids of the heart of jesus okay they're to be expected you know they're so close uh, and there's a lot of minnesota connections and then there were two gray habited sisters right behind and of course one was sister mary carolyn she's everywhere. so there was a big uh big like kind of hilarious laugh exchanged between the two of us as i processed by because of course we would just run into each other in the basilica in, in minneapolis sure yeah but it was it was beautiful it was a we had the newest um the, the auxiliary bishop, uh, who was just ordained recently, mm-hmm. what's his, do you remember his name? Williams. Uh, yes, Bishop Williams. Yeah, so this is his first uh, ordination he was able to celebrate. Oh, good. And it was very beautiful. Archbishop Habda preached, but he just got to focus on the liturgy, and it was very beautiful. Uh, nice. the, the bishop has a, a beautiful Ars Celebrandi, very prayerful comportment during the Mass. That just ate it a lot. Um. Yeah, I could go on and on about his Ars Celebrandi. The way he celebrates Mass was actually very moving for me when he was a young priest, and um, uh, I had actually taken a leave taken a leave of absence from seminary. Mm. Um, but he was he was very inspirational for me in eventually going back to seminary. Wow, that's great. Um, yeah, excellent. Well, welcome back from Minneapolis. Thank you, Ansu Falls. You know, Father, it's ordination season. Lots of ordinations happening. Um, but we're also, as we're recording this, we're kind of towards the end of the Easter season. And uh, towards the end of the Easter season, we, we look through a lot of John's gospel in daily mass. And we're walking through the very long uh, you know, discourse that Jesus offers at the, at the Last Supper in the, the latter part of John's gospel. You know, we're John 14, John 15, all these kind of really, really rich texts that uh, offer the conclusion of the Easter season. And I've just been doing some uh, reflecting on how people sometimes so feel so outcast in their uh, worth as they stand before God, as they encounter him in prayer, as they go before him in the confessional graces of the sacrament of reconciliation. Uh, so many just feel like I'm absolutely worthless. Uh, they don't understand kind of their own dignity. They don't understand perhaps, and, and that, that might be stemming from guilt from sin, but it also just might be the reality that so many people don't understand their value with God dwelling in them. You know, as a baptized creature, you really become the new Christ. You put on a new identity. You are a new creature, as Paul would say. And, and so many just feel so outcast. They just seem to say, oh, I, I'm not really that worthy. I'm just a lowly, 
you know, creature that, you know, God looks down upon and is mostly pitying most days. Like, oh, well, yeah, you tried again, fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think most people feel like they're just abject failures in the face of the Almighty all the time. Mm-hmm. And certainly we don't want to get big heads. We don't want to puff up our egos. But I don't think people quite understand kind of the value of what it means for God to dwell within them. Yeah. Does that yeah, make sense? It does. And I think it really corresponds to the image that we carry around of who God is. Uh, who we think he is, right? If we think he's some grandfather figure in the clouds, then why would we ever be able to have this intimate relationship with him? He's so far off. Or if he's the kind of, um, a friend has a kind of a, a little litany of things he's preached about before. If like, we just think of God as like a moralistic speed cop who's trying to catch us and trying to get us in trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, then we don't think we can have a relationship with him. We just try to avoid getting in trouble. So mm-hmm. that's like we go to mass out of obligation exclusively, or we, you know, we go to confession kind of our once a year time in Lent so that we don't go to hell or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like to, to think of ourselves as so far removed from God, um, just think of him so far away that kind of in his transcendence, we miss what he really invites us to um, through the incarnation, through right. our baptism. Yeah. I, I think it's the, the deism that is so prevalent in our culture today that I think a lot of Catholics are drinking the Kool-Aid. Right. Have we used that? Have we talked about that? We have done it. We've done it. Yes. Deism, yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> that was one of the episodes that, of the the audio file got corrupted. Oh shoot! So we didn't. We've talked about it. We've hinted at it. But when you did an entire episode <laughs> on oh, that, and I used like that stat or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. We never broadcast oh, well, that's that. Great. So I don't. That just kind of went bye bye. But anyways, but the deism present in our culture. Yeah, the deism is present in our culture, in which. There's this common sense that, yeah, God probably exists, but um, he's way out there, um, and he doesn't interact with us. And if there's any kind of moral norms he's given us, well, that's just simply because so we don't like you know completely tear each other apart. But he's way out there, uh, which then starts to verge into a lot of Gnosticism, you know, mm-hmm. not really sure what he's revealed about himself, but he's kind of there. <laughs> But rather distant. Yeah, and does right? he actually have any kind of plan for us and plan for our life? And is there a, is there a capacity for intimacy with him? Right. Mm-hmm. There is a plan for intimacy with him. It's all in John 14. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> you know, uh, crack open your Bibles, everybody. If you're listening to the car, if you're on the treadmill right now, you know, you might want to safely get off the treadmill or park the car before you crack open your Bible. But nevertheless, John 14. You're feeling kind of risky. Yeah, don't risk it. We are not going to be liable and held responsible for any automobile accidents at this time, including Sister Carolyn, who's probably listening to us as she drives She's got the Bible for sure right now. Well, Sister probably has it memorized, let's be honest. (laughs) Um, John 14, verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever loves me will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Isn't that rich? We will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Uh, God is not sitting off in some distant galaxy, nor is he sitting up on a cloud, as you say, being the traffic cop, just trying to keep track of all the little infractions done against his sovereignty. Right? Yeah. Uh, he really does want to come and dwell within us, and he does that. He does that. You know, uh, We put on the new Christ through sacramental grace. The Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. And um, the Father looks lovingly upon us as his beloved sons and daughters, um, such that heaven actually starts to become realized now, that there isn't this kind of like, well, I'm completely on my own, just kind of groping in the dark here on earth, and then boom, I die, and then heaven gates, heaven's gates open up, and there I get to see the Trinity. 
No, there's like actually a relationship yeah. that's being forged now. And, uh, and, and he's dwelling with us now and taking delight in his children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that already not yet that's often talked about of the end time. Like already the kingdom of God is being established in the church, in our community, yes, but also in our interior life. What, what's beautiful about that, um, <clears throat> that the father and the son will make their home with us, that beautiful English word abide, mm-hmm. to, to home, to make one's home in. It's beautiful because earlier in John 14, Jesus says, remain in me as I remain in you. Um, talking about the vine and the branches. Is that earlier or later? I thought it was John 15, but it doesn't Maybe matter. Maybe that's 15. Yeah. Well, you're right. Go ahead. Well, it's, it's cool then that this is prefaced. That is prefaced by this. Like, it's not Jesus just saying, hey, like, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. He says, no, like, the Father and I will come and we'll make our home in you mm-hmm. so that you can then remain in us. Right. Um, that uh, perichoresis, if you will, of the Trinity that we're invited into, right? That, Ooh, like, interpenetration <laughs> of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then as we're about to celebrate the ascension, it's like Jesus brings our humanity to the inner life of the Trinity and then allows that to, to in turn happen for us now, not just something we have to wait for. Mm-hmm. We'll wait for its fulfillment in heaven, but like the kingdom of God can be established now in our midst um, in the individual Christian's life. Right. Yeah. I think there's so many people who just miss this. You know, we, we just wa- feel like we walk aimlessly throughout life completely on our own, just trying to keep track of some moral norms. And then like, oh, I did a good job. You know, where's my, where's my little cookie for eternal life? Did, I, did, I get, did my passport get stamped so I can pass through the gates of eternal life? Yeah, and what I've noticed too, talking to people recently, uh, nothing against our Protestant brothers and sisters, but there's a Protestant notion of like what happens at church on Sundays, that it's primarily a listening and a learning mm-hmm. rather than like an engagement in like divine worship and uh, a, like delving deeper and deeper into this abiding of God within us mm-hmm. through the sacraments. I, I've just noticed that it's like, okay, I, I go through my life. God's over there. I'm trying to like do the right thing for him whenever it is that I'll see him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I go like learn more about him so I can live a better life in accord with whatever plan, you know, whatever like kind of his rules are. Um, yeah, there would be, there would be certainly Protestant branches, evangelicals who would have a strong focus on wanting to praise God the Almighty, and certainly there would be evangelicals and, and various Protestants who would want to live in the power of the Spirit very charismatically. Yeah, but you're right. If if worship becomes kind of a learning session, yeah, or for any Christian in which someone's just going through the motions, the opportunity to abide with God, you know, is just not there. And I say that particularly because I'm I'm thinking of a conversation I had recently with somebody who 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 is coming from a Catholic experience. But as then experienced through a different Protestant tradition, I, but I learn so much here. When I come, I don't, I don't dive in. We don't dive into the scripture. We don't mm-hmm. learn as much. Mm-hmm. And the conversation led to, well, what's mass for? Right. Which begs this question that you're proposing of like, well, what's the Christian life for? Right. Yeah. Now to understand this of what you're proposing helps us to like live the parts of our life so much more fully mm-hmm. um, that our joy might be full, like Jesus says. Right. Yeah, all of that just kind of reminds me of a um, of a quote from Saint Elizabeth of the Trinity. Um, very powerful. She always has some pretty money quotes. She does. Um, she's a very powerful early twentieth century saint. I don't think a lot of people know her. She's one of the more kind of unknown Carmelites, uh, contemporary uh, in her lifetime, contemporary of Therese of Lisieux, and and Therese with her little way and her popularity. Uh, gets a lot of attention, and rightly deserved. 
uh, in her own holiness and in her sanctity as a, as a role model for others. But Elizabeth uh, is no joke. Does <laughs> she give you some other type of flower if you pray to her? I don't know. You know like orchids or something? Well, she was from the Carmelite Monastery in Dijon. Um, I'm not sure what that... A little jar of mustard? Perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. I'm not sure. No, no uh, disrespect to the, the holy saint, uh, Elizabeth of the Trinity. And one of her prayers, I mean, she kind of... I mean, her very name, Elizabeth of the Trinity, you know, kind of speaks of her desire to always be abiding with the Lord, right? But she does have a, a, more, a more famous prayer, um, the prayer, Oh my God, Trinity, whom I adore. And I just want to share that a little bit with our li- listeners because um, I think it, it, it captures very powerfully uh, the drama that's available in letting God abide with us and we in him. So this is what Elizabeth says. O oh my God, Trinity, whom I adore, help me forget myself entirely so to establish myself in you, unmovable and peaceful, as if my soul were already in eternity. May nothing be able to trouble my peace or make me leave you, O my unchanging God. But may each minute bring me more deeply into your mystery. Grant my soul peace, make it your heaven, your beloved dwelling, and the place of your rest. May I never abandon you there, but may I be there, whole and entire, completely vigilant in my faith, entirely adoring, and wholly given over to your creative action. It's lovely, isn't it? It is. It, it, it also just like kind of flies in the face of the question, that kind of utilitarianism of our culture that looks at like a Carmelite monastery or monasticism in general. It's like, well, what good is that? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. You're just sitting around all day. You're just praying. It's like, whoa, the dynamism that's present in, in that prayer shows that there's so much happening behind the you know doors of little Carmel's and monasteries throughout the world. Yeah, what are those nuns and monks doing all day? Oh, I don't know. Maybe dwelling in union with the whole, you know, magnificent trinity. <laughs> That's a hope. <laughs> Go yeah. figure, you yeah. know. And isn't it interesting? She just invites the trinity to live within her. Make it your heaven. This is her. She's speaking of herself, her own being. Make it your heaven, your beloved dwelling, and the place of your rest. Do we invite the Lord to find his rest in us? And when you can do that in your own prayer, and you don't have to be a mystic to do that, just maybe just pray this prayer of Elizabeth of the Trinity. You can easily find it online. Uh, maybe do a little screenshot and keep it on your phone in your photos app. Um, just praying this over and over just kind of gets the mind circulating with the vocabulary of letting the Trinity just start to dwell within you, even if you feel like, I don't really know how to do that. How do I let the Trinity in? Well, just start with some very simple phrases. You know, come dwell with me, Lord. Let my soul be your home. Let my house be an extension. Let my soul kind of be a house for you, an extension of your throne in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start to do that, you don't start to feel like an outcast anymore before God. Uh, you don't start to feel like you're just a complete reject because you made some mistakes today. All of a sudden, you start to feel like my home is an extension of heaven itself where God is invited in. It really dignifies each human person, and it dignifies the Christian vocation. Mm-hmm. And while it might seem really difficult, I, I do think our listeners and our, our our people are really predisposed to this because of how uh, frequent they they want to talk to us about their God moments or like the kind of funny, you know, like God incidents or coincidences. Because there is this recognition, and I think it's just something deep within the human 
uh, psyche and our soul that we can recognize God's presence in different moments that happen. Maybe like it's a really powerful moment um, in the context of a, a funeral or it's a powerful moment at the kind of transition of someone's life um, or were you just aware that, okay, that, that didn't just happen. Like there was some intentionality behind it and like God's plan unfolding before me, mm-hmm. but that can, it can just take it closer and make God more eminent to realize his God moments aren't just sort of like out there, like these little landmines that you might just like trip over mm-hmm. and just kind of stumble upon him. I mean, please God, when those like actual graces he's pouring out, like really do find rich soil to like abide in, that's great. And mm-hmm. like that, that can be really fruitful, but it takes it one step more to recognize that no, 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 there's not just these God moments. It's like every moment mm-hmm. could be a moment <clears throat> of encounter with God. Right. Um, and that's so freeing. And it's, there's a desire for that too in the culture with which so with so much um, <laughs> that's like prayers all about no distractions. My phone starts going off. I thought right. I put it on. Do not disturb. I did. Um, there's so much focus on a desire for meditation or for mindfulness or whatever. Why? Because we feel outcast from ourselves, outcast from God, and there's a desire to have some kind of unifying principle. Well, Christians have been doing this for centuries, and it's mm-hmm. been like a part of the the life of the church to have a rich interior life, it is possible. Right. Um, and our desire for it is already there. So it's not like we have to go search somewhere, go on some like, ex, ex, you know, intense retreat to like start doing it. Mm-hmm. It can happen now as you're listening to this, right? Absolutely. To invite God in and to recognize his presence right now with us. Right. And if there's any listener out there who's still not quite convinced that you're like worthy to have God dwell in you, like if you just feel so broken, um, Perhaps a starting point in, in that situation would be, okay, why don't we let the Father look upon the Son in you? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you don't feel like you want the Father to look at you, like you would just like, get nervous and like have to look down at your toes and, oh God, don't look <laughs> at me. I'm such a, a worthless mess. Well, if, if you're animated by the Holy Spirit, if the Son is dwelling, you, dwelling in you sacramentally, um, what if your prayer could kind of lead you towards the Father is gazing upon the Son who just happens to be in me, right? And if the Son is the head, obviously, and we make up his body and continue his mission on earth. What does, the, what does the Father see in his beloved Son in and through us? And how, do, how does that link us you know, more deeply into his beloved gaze, his, his, his longing and delight of looking upon us, because he sees the reflection of his son in each one of us, he sees the power of his spirit dwelling within one of us. And therefore, we're caught up into the very life of the Trinity. And so if you don't feel like you're worthy to have God staring at you, not like awkwardly staring like, ooh, you know, but like really just loving and pouring out love, just remember that he's doing so in the context of receiving the other members of the Trinity with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not just us kind of under like this all-penetrating eye under great scrutiny. We're, we're just caught up in that Trinitarian life already. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And just one, maybe one last thought here as we wrap up. Sorry, we're giving, giving you extra time on the treadmill there. Um, <laughs> the indwelling of the Holy Trinity is all three members, uh, or all three persons of the Trinity, obviously. Like you can't have one without the other. But it's beautiful in the tradition. The church has been attributed to the Holy Spirit. And as we prepare in these days for Pentecost, like whenever you, you know, might listen to this, you don't have to just be celebrating Pentecost, but to invite the Holy Spirit in particular um, to fill your heart, to fill your life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
those beautiful prayers uh, that more traditional of come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of thy faithful, like fill the hearts of each of us so that we can experience what Elizabeth the Trinity did according to our Satan life, according to our capacity to receive God's love. It's beautiful that it's built into this time of year as Pentecost approaches. Right. Good thoughts. Well, friends, uh, check out some of those rich passages in John 14, John 15, just to help guide your own prayer. Father Travis, always good to be with you. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. God bless everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.